This is Doc Vader, the most powerful clinician in the galaxy. You are listening to the Inside the Boards podcast. The Force is severely strong with this one. Vader out. Welcome back, Boards Insiders. I'm your host, Elizabeth Beeman. And I've got another microbiology episode for you today as part of our Study Smarter series to get you prepared for step one. So let's get started. Our question today is, a 27-year-old man comes to the emergency department because of a fever. His past medical history is significant for HIV, which has not been well controlled in the past because of poor adherence to antiretroviral therapy. His temperature is 38.3 degrees Celsius or 101 degrees Fahrenheit. Pulse is 72 a minute. Respirations are 16 a minute. And blood pressure is 120 over 80 millimeters of mercury. Physical examination shows several painless, white, irregular-shaped plaques on the right oral mucosa. They cannot be scraped off using a tongue depressor. There is no associated erythema or swelling. Which of the following is most likely associated with this presentation? A. Aspergillus fumigatus B. Candida albicans C. Cytomegalovirus D. Epstein-Barr virus Or E. Herpes simplex virus And the correct answer is... D. Epstein-Barr virus. And how did we come to that correct answer? Our diagnosis for this patient is also known as oral hairy leukoplakia. It is one presentation of Epstein-Barr virus that we specifically see in immunocompromised patients like those with AIDS. Unlike thrush or oral candidiasis, um, the lesions of oral hairy leukoplakia cannot be scraped off the tongue or buccal mucosa. So, This episode is a good time for us to talk a little bit more about HIV. What you need to know about HIV is that it is an enveloped RNA-type retrovirus that targets CD4 T-cells and binds either CCR5 on macrophages in the early infection or CXCR4 on T-cells in the late infection. You should know it's a single-stranded linear virus. And it contains a reverse transcriptase. Know that the preliminary test with a high sensitivity, meaning a lot of false positives, to test for HIV is an ELISA. But the confirmatory test, which will rule out those false positives, is a Western blot. That is something that could come up on step one. The risk factors for HIV transmission include sexual activity, blood transfusion, although this is a very, very, very rare, and needle sharing and sticks. Also, it can be transmitted transplacentally um, without any kind of treatment. It's actually as high as 30% of babies born to HIV-positive women will have HIV as well. However, in countries like America, where we have a lot of resources, the risk of transmitting HIV is actually less, less than 2%, uh, much thanks to the medications that we can now give women during pregnancy and after pregnancy to prevent transmission. What does HIV look like? The initial presentation is like an acute viral illness, actually presents a lot like mononucleosis. Patients will get fever, malaise, lymphadenopathy, pharyngitis. This usually happens about a month after the initial exposure in about 80% of people. So at this stage, there's very high levels of the HIV virus in the blood. Uh, The viruses will spread to infect lymph nodes and and macrophages, and the symptoms will eventually resolve 
viral load in the blood will decrease. However, the HIV will continue to replicate in the lymph nodes and peripheral blood. So then there's this latent period after the initial viremia can last for a median of about eight years in which you will not have any symptoms. Some people may have lymphadenopathy, but generally this is considered an asymptomatic kind of latent period. In the meantime, CD4 cells are steadily being destroyed, the CD4T lymphocytes. These are obviously the number one target of HIV. Towards the end of the latent period, patients begin to develop bacterial and skin infections and may also be more likely to experience constitutional symptoms like weight loss or malaise or night sweats. AIDS will subsequently develop once the CD4 lymphocyte count drops below 200. So remember that number cutoff is 200. Also, another clinical indicator that the patient will now be classified as having AIDS is if they have one of the AIDS-defining opportunistic infections. These include candida esophagitis, pneumocystis carinii pneumonia, and the malignancy Kaposi sarcoma. Fortunately, now patients will receive antiretroviral therapy, and this has greatly improved the prognosis for patients who are diagnosed positive with HIV. Most patients, if not given any kind of treatment, will die of AIDS within two years of, or an average of two years after uh, the clinical definition of AIDS has been met as far as having contracted an AIDS-defining illness or having a CD4 count below 200. So that's kind of a quick review of what we want you to know about AIDS. Let's go back to our question and figure out why those other answer choices were incorrect. Choice A, Aspergillus fumigatus. Aspergillus is a cause of invasive disease in immunocompromised patients like pneumonia, angioinvasion, or invasive sinusitis, but it doesn't really cause an oral mucosal infection. Not clinically going to be associated with a picture of this white plaque on the tongue. Candida albicans does cause white plaques on the tongue or oral mucosa, but as we discussed, that's going to be called thrush. It's oral thrush. It's, it is definitely seen more commonly in immunocompromised patients, but we would be able to scrape that off the tongue. Again, hairy leukoplakia is caused by Epstein-Barr, can't scrape off the tongue, and that's really the big difference you're going to see in a clinical vignette. Cytomegalovirus can cause retinitis in HIV patients. Specifically, this happens if they have a CD4 count less than 50, very low. And cytomegalovirus can cause esophagitis, colitis, pneumonitis, and encephalitis, also in HIV patients. We're going to see this happening if the CD4 count is less than 100. Remember, CMV is associated with the cells that have the intranuclear inclusion bodies, or ALZI appearance. Choice D, Epstein-Barr virus, was the correct answer and does cause hairy leukoplakia. Epstein-Barr virus is an opportunistic infection that, like CMV, is associated with a CD4 cell count less than 100. EBV can also cause B-cell lymphoma, like non-Hodgkin lymphoma and CNS lymphoma. The CNS lymphoma is ring-enhancing and may be solitary versus toxoplasma, where we also see ring-enhancing lesions in HIV patients. However, these are going to usually be multiple different lesions. So that's how you know the difference between the CNS lymphoma, the Epstein-Barr virus, and toxoplasma brain abscesses. Speaking of which, toxoplasma gondii 
does cause brain abscesses also in patients with a CD4 count less than 100. Again, multiple ring-enhancing lesions will be seen on MRI. And then we come to choice E, herpes simplex virus. Herpes simplex virus, certainly a patient who is immunocompromised would be at an increased risk for a more systemic involvement of a herpes virus. You can think about herpetic encephalitis as a potential disease you might see in an HIV or AIDS-infected patient. However, it's not going to present with the perileukoplakia-type associated plaque that we saw in this clinical vignette. Blisters and sores in the mouth would definitely give us a clue that maybe this is some kind of herpetic infection. This patient didn't have that, so we are, have low suspicion that it would be a herpes simplex virus causing these symptoms. That's pretty much all we wanted to make sure that you knew for HIV. Also, since we did talk a little bit about candida, I'd like to just touch on a few important points to remember. As we said, candida does cause oral thrush with the scrapable white plaque and pseudohyphae on microscopy. That oral thrush will happen in an HIV patient that has a CD4 count less than 500. That's not even meeting criteria for AIDS at that point. But when the CD4 count gets even lower, less than 100, we worry about a more serious infection involving candida, which is the esophagitis. Candida and esophagitis will show white plaques on endoscopy, so they're further down, and yeast and pseudohyphae on biopsy. Not relating to HIV, candida also is responsible for yeast infections, candida vulvovaginitis. Uh, the signs of a candida yeast infection would include inflammation and thick white also called cottage cheese discharge from the cervix, you're going to see on microscopy pseudohyphae. These patients, in opposition to patients with a trichomonal or bacterial vaginosis infection, patients with candida have a normal pH. So remember that that's kind of the differentiating factor. If you have a person with white discharge and the pH is 4.0 to 4.5, you're going to be thinking about candida vulvovaginitis. When we get into like a trichomonal infection, we think about a patient who has a vaginal pH greater than 4.5 or more basic pH. And we also think about that with a bacterial vaginosis, a more basic pH greater than 4.5. That's how we tell candida vulvovaginitis from other similar appearing vaginal infections, if that's the only information we have. We can use amphotericin B to treat candida infections for, say, treating the esophagitis complication of candida and HIV. The azoles are also good at treating candida. And that's pretty much all we wanted you to know about HIV in Canada. So that's our brief overview of those two infectious pathogens. Thank you for listening, and we will see you on the next episode.